Hello, welcome to the Plus Future podcast with me, James Nepal Singh. Join me as I coach one of the biggest rising stars in the publishing world at the moment. Her name is Mire Harper, and she's an award-winning editorial director at Bluebird, One Boat, and Pan Macmillan. As usual, I set out the typical coaching ground rules before the session. Let's get right in. Mire, welcome to the Plus Future podcast. Thank you. So Mire, for the listeners at home who might not know about you, would you like to introduce yourself? Yep. I'm an editorial director at Bluebird and One Boat, which is an imprint at Pan Macmillan, which is one of the big five publishers in the UK. And then outside of my job, I'm a writer, a sensitivity reader and a PR and communications consultant. Excellent. So as you know, this is a coaching podcast. What bump in the road can I help you navigate today? So the bump in the road that I think I'm currently facing is with stepping back and kind of stepping away from expectations that people like might have of me and not feeling guilty when I'm saying no to requests because I seem to get an inordinate amount of requests. So I'm just kind of navigating that and working out the kind of emotions that come with that too. Two things I got there. The first is expectations. It sounds like being your authentic self when you've got other people thinking what you should be. And the second one is how to say no when you want to say no. Yeah, that's it. Where are we at the moment then? What's going on in your life? I feel like I'm quite good at saying no at the moment to a lot of things, just purely because I think when you get to that time towards the end of the year, it's quite easy to step back from things. I think everyone kind of goes into hibernation mode a little bit, but I think it's just sort of, yeah, navigating expectations when I'm in the role that I'm in. And I think expectations that people have of me as an editorial director and what that entails. And then sort of outside of my job, sort of like two years after I had a bit of, I guess, like a moment in terms of I had a lot of attention on me on Instagram and things like that. I've worked on a lot of projects, but then there's sort of been a lull, which I'm very grateful for (laughs) because I would really like a break. But then I think there's an expectation of when you've done a lot, people are like, you know, what's next? What's coming? What are you working on? And this idea that it has to be bigger and better almost. So that's the place that I'm currently at. We're at the end of the year when we're doing this recording. So people's expectations are a little less than they used to be because you can say no now because people are hibernating, you're saying. And what I got from the expectations part was it seemed you were quite high profile on Instagram. Sounds like you're very successful. And then you're in a bit of a lull now. And people are saying to you, what's happening next? What's the next big thing going to be? Yeah. How does that make you feel? If anything, it makes me want to do the opposite. I feel like I'm not the sort of person who likes to ride off of things. That's never really been my intention. I don't really enjoy like working towards, I guess, what I call like a growth mentality, which I see both in the field I work in, but also just generally in terms of our like capitalist society. There's always this idea of like growth and doing more. And I just very much... I'm resistant to that. So I think I don't respond to it well in that it makes me want to retreat even more and to do less or not to do less, but to do less 
that I talk about to just do things in my own life and not discuss them and, and kind of work on the things that I'm working on at the pace that I want to and for the purpose that I want, if that makes sense, rather than for external reception or praise or anything like that. The expectation, the way you define it there, correct me if I'm wrong, was caused by a capitalist society which says there's this growth mentality and in order to improve, you need to grow. You want to step back from that and retreat into your own space where, correct me if I'm wrong, it still seems like growing, but at your own pace and not what other people think you should be doing. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think for me, it's like, the things I work on don't have to be huge or they don't have to, you know, have specific names attached to them or, or to me, it's like the things that I work on, I just want them to be things that bring me joy. So they, they might sort of be, it's not like they're kind of reduced or it's not that they're not as important, but they might not be as significant, but they might still be important to me, if that makes sense. Okay. How do you want to feel at the end of this session compared to how you're feeling now? I think I would like to have more of a sense of optimism. I feel like I very easily retreat into like cynicism and pessimism quite generally. So yeah, a sense of optimism. And I think I also mentioned peace of mind as something that I'd like just feeling, I guess, more comfortable, or I guess the word is confident with the decisions that I want to make and the way that I want to live. Optimism peace of mind and confidence. Mm. What do they mean for you? I think peace of mind is this feeling of not having sort of like underlying anxiety or worry about things, but just kind of, yeah, being at peace with whatever situation I'm in. Optimism, just not feeling like such a cynic, which I think I am the majority of the time. And I find it very easy to retreat into pessimism and it's all going to be bad. Like I find it very easy to stay in that um, thinking space. And then with confidence, yeah, it's a weird one because I feel like in a way I have confidence around, you know, some of my views and some of my thoughts, but I think just like a general confidence with, you know, my mindset and the things I believe. So that, yeah, that would be nice. (laughs) The optimism you said you want to feel less cynicism because you tend to go back there. Peace of mind is less anxiety. And confidence sounds like you have that there. Could you give me some examples of where these issues have come up recently? I think, I guess, peace of mind, I guess the opposite comes up in work generally, sort of, you know, going back to when I said about projects. So I've worked on a lot of projects in terms of like children's history books. And I think I'm now in a space where it's like, okay, I would like to work on a project of my own, you know, not in partnership with a publisher. And so I'm just kind of working on developing that. But I feel some sort of like difficulty. I feel almost like a bit of restraint in terms of like figuring out what it is that I want to do, because I feel like anything I put my mind to, I really have to believe in it and know in my gut that it's the right thing to do. So when I do feel that, or when I feel any kind of like uncertainty, it makes me very like, resistant to then developing. So I think that's where this feeling of like underlying anxiety and not so much peace of mind around the projects that I'm working on outside of my work is coming from. And then in terms of my career as well, like I think I had quite a quick trajectory 
and I'm still in the phase of like learning. I talk about this a lot. Like I've been in my industry for five years and I have to re- like reteach myself things every day just because I can't retain a lot of information. So it's sort of just like, I notice I don't have that much peace of mind at work, even though I absolutely love my work and I feel like it is my like life's purpose and passion. I don't often have a sense of peace of mind and I often have to do a lot of external things. Like when I'm at work, I like sit myself in a pod so I can have like full concentration and all that kind of stuff to give myself like an external peace of mind because I'm just dealing with that kind of internal, wouldn't say disarray, that's a bit like (laughs) dramatic, but some sense of that. Two avenues we can go there that you've mentioned. The first is you want to do things by yourself, your own projects. You're doing things at work like children's books, and there seems to be something that's blocking you from doing your own projects. And that's what you said to me. It seemed to be the anxiety. That was it, the kind of unknown. And the second one was the pod that you mentioned where you have to kind of put yourself in this safe space at work because you weren't on this high, quick trajectory and you have to retain all this new knowledge and you haven't got peace of mind because of that pressure for the new knowledge. This need for new knowledge, could you just explore that a bit more? What did you mean by that? In my industry, I guess there's a lot of like very accomplished people and there's also a lot of very intelligent people. And it's not to say that I'm not good at my job. I know I'm good at my job and I wouldn't have been offered my job if I wasn't you know, capable of it. But I think there's just sometimes like a little bit of difficulty around, you know, retaining all the knowledge that I have to know in terms of processes with the books, in terms of finding new authors and, you know, like working. So I work in like the adult nonfiction lifestyle space. So we publish everyone from like Marie Kondo to Oprah to Russell Brand to Jay Blades, David Harewood. They're very kind of commercial books. And I think I want the the knowledge I guess I want to have is more around the kind of a the commercial imperative like finding you know the right books that will do well but that still have an important message at their core that is still impactful that still touch people which is very hard <laughs> and I guess the second side of it is just not feeling sort of I wouldn't say like discomfort but not feeling so unsure I feel like whenever I approach each book I always feel slightly unsure about the stages, even though I know them. It's almost a bit like it's that I just get anxious about the processes and I want to make sure that everything runs smoothly, which is never going to be the case. But I want to kind of have everything mapped out in my head and have like confidence from the outset to know that I'm going to guide them towards where they need to be without kind of, yeah, getting into a rut somewhere or getting stuck on something, which I find... I often do. So I guess in a way it's kind of two. The first is like, I want to develop like commercial knowledge. I want to develop a more holistic way of commissioning books that are right for my list. But then at the same time, I want to have more confidence about the way I actually publish the books and not only how I commission them. First part's knowledge. So how to find the right book, the commercial side. Second one's process. How are you sure that the stages are efficient for actually executing those sales. What feedback have you heard so far? I feel like I've received positive feedback. And I know that the books that I do have that I'm working on, whether they're my own commissions or somebody else's, 
I feel like most of them have been successful or they're doing as well as possible in the market that we currently have, which is not as successful as it was during COVID, which was, you know, when book publishing was like thriving insanely. But I feel like there's probably been like one or two projects where there's just been a bit of like resistance or there's been passion projects of mine that I really love, but that just haven't been able to work. And because I feel like I'm a person who very much trusts in their gut when it comes to commissioning. So it's like a book that makes me feel a certain way is a book I want to take forward. So for me, it's almost like when it doesn't work or I can't take it forward, I feel emotional, like emotional about it because it's, it's almost like something I believe in very inherently, but, but it just won't work. And I think it's probably a case of like, sort of distinguishing my emotions from the fact I work for a business and just being comfortable with that. But I find it's often, it's often a push and pull for me internally, not so much like externally, but yeah, definitely internally. The commercial side have gone really well, you're saying. Things you think haven't gone so well are your passion projects, which you feel an emotional attachment to, but they haven't done so well. What are the data points for you to get that analysis? So I guess the interesting thing with those is that like the things that haven't worked, the things that I've just not taken forward or like with maybe one of them is that I've taken it forward, but like issues have cropped up along the line and then I've not been able to continue. So it's almost like they haven't had the chance even to, you know, be in the market. But I guess for those that I couldn't even take through, there probably are clear data points in terms of like, you know, commercial viability, access to a wide mass market audience rather than a niche audience. Like those are probably the two very clear things that stand out with projects that I've not been able to take forward. Those are probably two data points I can think of. When you say they haven't gone forwards, could you just clarify that someone else has stopped the process or you've stopped the process? Essentially, I've not been able to commission them. So the way like things work in book publishing is that I'll receive the proposal or the manuscript and then I'll present it to my team at a first stage and then there's kind of like a secondary stage. So it's like if it doesn't get past those stages, it's not acquired. Everybody has to be on board for it to be acquired. So at those stages are where it's not gone forward, essentially. To what extent is that not an issue with the writer or you, but with other people? I mean, that's a good point. It could partially be that, although I do feel, I mean, yeah, it could be, you know, that there are other things at play in terms of people who are thinking about the commercial element or they're thinking about risk at a much, I guess, higher rate than I am as an editor. So it could be that those are the reasons why they haven't worked. But at the same time, it's hard because it's like, I very much trust those people (laughs) and I need them to trust in the project to make it work. So them being honest and saying it's not going to work is actually very good to know at that stage because it means that I'm saving myself all the stress of taking it forward and and going forth with it and then it really not working. So it's that like it's a yeah, it's a weird like dichotomy where it's like it's sad, but it's also good. (laughs) It's a yeah, it's a strange one. To what extent is the fact that they haven't gone through you not pushing them through in the right way? That's a very good point. 
I do you know what I would actually say if I'm to be completely honest I would say maybe that's about 50% of it I think there's definitely another 50% where it's like there's data or metrics on audience and looking at the market a lot of books haven't worked in that space and that is a very like tangible kind of yeah that's like a very kind of like tangible point but in terms of perhaps the way I present them or the confidence that I present them with yeah that's probably about 50% if I'm to be completely honest so yeah that's a good point I was going to mention the confidence bit as well because that was the way you were describing what you need to work on my next question to you was is this really a question of you having to learn all these new things so quickly or to what extent is this a confidence issue? You have the skills, but you don't believe in yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think it's like, I think it's a bit of both in that, I guess, because I've not, not learned things over a consistent amount of time, perhaps at the pace that I would have wanted. It's a lot to retain. And also it can almost be like brain overload. But at the same time, I think the point about confidence and perhaps recognizing that I have some of the skills, but not being entirely confident in saying that I have those skills or knowing how I present myself as being capable and having those skills is probably also a big part of it. Who's told you that you haven't got the right skills and you've got this, all this knowledge to learn very quickly that you don't have? Nobody, (laughs) probably me, probably me. Um, I also think I'm like extreme, not extremely because nobody's like extremely self-aware. There's things of myself I don't know, but I feel like I'm quite self-aware and I often observe other people. And I think I notice areas where people are just more proficient. And it does, it's not to say that I'm like bad or it's not to say that I'm not able to do my job, but I just notice where other people have like a confidence or an ease and observing that I'm often like oh okay I'm not there so that's probably sometimes also where the lack of confidence comes and I think that's probably what I'm navigating. Can I give you an observational point here the data sets you've given me so far have been very unreliable because they've been made by you in your head and their perceptions it's not real data what can you do to get reliable data from people to see how you're performing? I could probably just check in with my manager more. <laughs> I notice I actually have, like I do speak to my manager often. I guess I don't often put in dedicated time because a lot of the time I'm like, oh, I'll just get on with things and just tell her I've done this and that. And I don't, I don't try and sit down and have like an actual in-depth conversation. I often find that if I'm sitting down and having an in-depth conversation, I'm like, oh, I could just be doing things in this time, even though I'm like, that, that is an important thing to you know, carve out time for. I could definitely do that. Yeah, I could definitely do that. You said it could be a good thing. <laughs> yeah. To what extent is it essential to your job to get reliable feedback to see how you're performing? It is essential. It's not even pretty essential. It is essential. Yeah. Do you have a pen and paper to hand? I do. Okay. <laughs> like, I literally have my notepad here and I've been like eyeing it. Great. When would you like to set up a meeting with your manager and how often are you going to have those meetings to get feedback? I mean, they used to be weekly and I actually think that was very good just for being like on top of things. Yeah, I I feel like it needs to be like a weekly correspondence. It's often hard to like find a time for us to marry up. But, you know, if it doesn't work, it's like, okay, we could try fortnightly and see how that works for us. But 
I think weekly correspondence would be best. And what do you need to do to set up those bi-weekly meetings? Who do you need to contact? Just her. That's the thing. It's, it's so simple. It's like, it's just direct correspondence, but it's just like, it's one of those things where when something falls out, I just don't step back on it. And, and then I think I, in my head, I think I get into a fear when I see how busy a person is and know how busy I am. Then I'm like, it's just easier if we don't have correspondence or if we do, it can be fleeting. It's fine. But in reality, that does not work. So what you're telling me that that doesn't work, that system, you need a structured system in place. And you're telling me you need bi-weekly meetings. And it sounds like you need them at a certain point in a day at the same time. That is being noted. <laughs> because everything you've told me so far, you've been very successful. And the only things that you think you're not good at are barriers that you're putting from yourself. No one else has told you you need to improve on this. And you're putting more pressure and anxiety on yourself. Yeah, that is true. The passion projects. Let's go back to that because it kind of relates to, I think, the expectations point and what you were saying before about this is what you really want to do and you want to free up space for that. What's going on with the passion? Why is the passion there? So I guess this more pertains to the stuff that I'm doing outside of work. So in terms of, I guess, like my career outside of publishing, and also I think because of my role, I recognise that it's a lot more senior than positions I've been in. And so I want to dedicate more time. And also just the nature of publishing means you dedicate a lot of your free time to just thinking about it. It's like one of those things where, you know, you're assessing like conversations with your friends to see if there's a book idea in them. Like it, it just, it, it, unfortunately, the life of an editor or editorial director or publisher, wherever you work in editorial, is that it, it, it takes up just, it just permeates into all areas of your life. Unfortunately, that's just kind of how it is, even though I love it. So I shouldn't say unfortunately, actually. It's like, it's just like a byproduct of the job. But in terms of the passion projects is like, so I've, I've worked on, you know, children's nonfiction history books outside of my job. I've been doing that for the past three years, I think. And I've always done it as a contributor or as the sole writer, but the publisher has like owned all the rights to it because I, I mainly do my children's nonfiction with Dorling Kindersley. So they kind of come up with the concepts for their book and then I'm essentially like employed to work on them. Whereas what I want to do now is to come up with my own concepts for books and execute them without kind of any guidance, which is very exciting, but also very daunting. And I'd say that that is very much my passion project but I just haven't been able to find what that is yet. It's like, there's not something that's stuck or that I found that I'm like 100% comfortable with. And for a while I like wanted to work on essentially like a children's history book about Nanny of the Maroons, who's a national hero in Jamaica and um, a freedom fighter. And I just got to a point where it just didn't feel right. I just, I, ju I don't know what it was, but it didn't feel right. And because of that, I was like, I actually cannot continue with this because I feel like I'm going against like my intuition. And so I stopped that. But ever since it's like my intuition hasn't really stuck anywhere else and I haven't been able to like develop anything. So I feel like I'm in a bit of a lull with things and like sitting in the middle of not really knowing what it is that I want to do in that space, but knowing that I do want to do something. Passion project, something by yourself, independent of your work. You found a project that really intrigued you. 
but your intuition said stop. What happened there? So I feel like I'm very particular about the way that histories are recorded. I also recognise I'm not a historian. So whenever I've worked on children's books with Dorling Kindersley, I do a lot of research and I look at a lot of sources, but it's quite easy because the books that I've worked on are sort of snapshots or overviews into, you know, periods in history or migration generally. So it's quite, it's quite easy to write in those spaces. But when I'm working on somebody like Nanny, where she almost blends into the history and the mythical space, it's a very, to me, it's a very sensitive space. And I kind of recognize that I don't feel like I could write about Nanny without visiting the Maroon community and talking to them firsthand. And then there was a kind of like internal struggle around how, you know, you access an autonomous community and also how I viewed it, which to me would be extracting information, which I then struggled with on an ethical basis. And then there was the added difficulty of like identifying that a lot of the resources or sources that I'm looking at might be outdated, probably have a European bias and just also might not be truthful. And so then I kind of just hit this space where I was like, I don't want to do it unless I'm doing her justice. And I recognized that like I, I couldn't, there was not a way for me to do this justice in my mind. And so that's why I stepped back from it, essentially. The projects that drive your passion appear to be in these challenging spaces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard because it's like that sort of thing where I, I'm very passionate about, you know, legacies and leaders, especially in like Black history. And that's been something I've very much tried to bring in in the publishing work I do, in the freelance work I do. That's the space I've been in for a very long time. but. In this space, it's just it's proved more difficult. And I I think just that, like again, that internal pull has just been a little bit too like visceral to to ignore. Like it, it, when something feels physically uncomfortable for me, I I cannot continue to like pursue it or to be like I'm going to find a workaround. Like I'm just like no, <laughs> this is a sign <laughs> must retreat. Like that's something that I think I lean into more than trying to like problem solve or find a workaround with. What you're telling me there is you need to stop this passion project completely because every single project you'll have the same feeling. Yeah, likely. <laughs> yes. How do you feel when, when you hear that being said to you, you need to stop your passion project? I think I feel okay because I know, I know that this just hasn't been working and that's why I've like let it go. So I think I feel very comfortable with that. I think it's just a case of like, I know I want to produce something in the children's nonfiction history space. Perhaps it doesn't need to be as like intangible as looking into a historical figure for which there is not a lot of like information available. I think it's a case of like thinking about all the different areas I care about. So, you know, like being Caribbean in the UK, being the child of immigrants, like those themes I know I want to incorporate into, you know, a body of work, but it's just how I find the topic in or how I find the route in. And I I am very comfortable with it, like not being instant, but I also recognize that in publishing, when you've worked regularly on different projects, it does help to be like, okay, this is the next project. And it's just, it's an easier flowing process than trying to, you know, come back five years or six years on and be like, now I have an idea, but it's not impossible. So just yeah navigating that 
Let's deep dive that then. So how you find the route into these children's history books that touch on themes like your heritage, Caribbean heritage, being in the UK, child of immigrants, very similar to me, by the way. So what options do you have available to find those routes? That is a good question. I mean, I think the first route is literally just doing my research. I think I need to probably just sit and like assess books in the market, assess what is missing. I've had a lot of meetings with children's publishers, essentially where I've like been told to go off and think and then life gets in the way. And I'm like, so I kind of have like the bare bones of I know of I know the projects that could work. And if I really had the brain space, I could come up with an idea. And I also have a literary agent, so I could actually just talk to her. <laughs> But again, I'm, I do that thing where I'm like, oh, she's busy. I'm busy. I'll catch up with her when I have something more tangible. And it, it kind of becomes that that thing where I almost like get in my head that I have to have a fully fleshed idea and I have to have, you know, everything ready before I approach. So it's a bit it's a bit of a mixture of things of, of yeah, needing to facilitate effective communication, but also needing to do my research and develop ideas more. So I feel more confident about what I'm going out with and that I believe in it more. What trends are you seeing here with what you just said now and what you said to me 10 minutes before? Probably confidence. <laughs> you mentioned something about like reaching out to someone, but they're always too busy and you're too busy. You should never get to it. Not structuring time to talk to key figures in my life. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. So you got your pen and you got your paper there. I do. When are you going to meet this person to talk about what we've just discussed today? Funnily enough, I actually am meeting my agent in about two weeks. So, <laughs> so there is something in that I think it might be worth going from that meeting and being like, okay, can we check in every month or can we check in at a designated time just A, to hold me accountable, but B, just to make sure that I know what I'm working towards. Yeah, because otherwise I find that like when I let communication go, it's almost like this person becomes like a mythical creature who doesn't really exist. They're just like somewhere in the distance. So yeah, just factoring in structured and dedicated time regularly. You've got Outlook Calendar yeah. at work. Sounds like the structure you need in place is just to put these meetings in there yeah, and send meeting requests. Yeah, it's so simple. As a tool. <laughs> it's so simple when you break it down, but it sounds so like, unless you've like recognised it, it just seems so far away and I don't know why that is. This is what coaching is there for. It brings the simple out of you. Mm. It seems simple now that you've said it, but because it's deep in your brain, you've never realised it. So it's always been difficult. Exactly. Yeah. And you mentioned research. And is the meeting with the agent, did you say next month or did you say two weeks time? It's in two weeks. Yeah. So when are you going to fit in time to do the research before that meeting? That's a good question. I mean, I, I have today off. So I was like, there is space for me to do things. I'm not working on anything work-wise obviously today and I find that like weekend I actually think like weekend mornings are a very untapped time for me they're like I just I just waste them and it's like in the evenings I often have like just stuff on all week that's just my life but I find that like the weekend mornings I often have as like I don't know if you've ever heard of this there's this like term that's coined by this burnout coach who calls it revenge bedtime procrastination but mine is the opposite it's like in the morning it's just like 
revenge procrastination to get back at how busy I am the rest of the time. But it actually leads to me like not feeling like I filled up the time effectively and not feeling like I've rested either. So I feel like if I could put it into something, you know, more productive or more fulfilling, like research, which actually doesn't take up too much of your brain space because you're just absorbing the information, you're not having to, you know, create anything, that that could be useful. So we've got two weeks. You can draw a quick timetable now and put in slots of when you're going to do the research. You said today you're free and weekends. Yeah. And see how that goes over the next two weeks. And if it works for you, maybe try that every week. Yeah. You said you wanted to feel more confident at the end of the session. So compared to how you felt before, how do you feel now? I think I feel more confident because I have a route. I think often I'll like overcomplicate things in my mind. So it almost becomes like an impenetrable forest. Like it's really hard to like work out stuff. So I'm like, I'll just stay here in the safe space. But it's like, I'm not actually moving forward out of this. Whereas I feel like I'm like, okay, there's actually a route. There's a, a very clear path that I can take. It doesn't mean like things are going to just happen really easy. It's not going to be faultless, but it's like you at least have the stepping stones in place to be able to execute X or to be able to do X. Like it's just, I don't know, I guess everything is a bit more tangible now, whereas whereas before it kind of seemed like all fuzzy in my head, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. So if I speak to you this time next year, what's going to be different? I hope to have more just more of a view in terms of what I'm doing in terms of extra projects. So, you know, whether it's like I'm working towards this or I'm developing the idea further, or whether it's like, I've got the idea and it's with a publisher. I just want to have, I just want to know what it is that I'm working on outside of work. And then in terms of work, I just want to feel more comfortable. I guess I don't want to feel so like uneasy or like I'm doing things wrong. I just want to be like, no, I know what I'm doing. And it's fine and I'm doing well in my lane and just, yeah, just have a bit more kind of confidence and authority in terms of what I'm working on. To summarise what we discussed today and where we are now. So we focused on two issues that you briefly mentioned there. The first was that you want to do your own projects in your own space. And there's a bit of cynicism. You revert to this cynical stage. The reasoning he gave for that one project seemed quite logical and it was just sensitive. So we came to the conclusion that if you really want to go down that route of following your passions, the challenging space isn't the right way because the same thing is going to happen again. One thing to think about is to what extent is that you putting more barriers in front of yourself as opposed to finding solutions in an optimistic way to think about. That will take a lot of deep diving thinking, I think. And then the second one was the process in your job. Uh, You've had this quick trajectory, but you feel like you don't have enough knowledge. Other people are doing better than you. And the conclusion we drew is the only people giving you that feedback is one person and that's you. So the solution you came up with is if you talk to your line manager and book in meetings on a bi-weekly basis to actually get data sets that you can work on all that nonsense that's in your head, if it is nonsense, will just disappear. And that can help on the confidence issues. The main thing I'm getting from all of this is structure and perceptions of people being busy. Just simple structures of setting in meetings when you need them, setting in time to do the research. Yeah, that's a, I think the structure is a big one. Like, yeah. 
And it's weird. It's like you don't realise it until somebody else says it. But I feel like often it sounds so like extra to say this, but often in my entire existence, I've been very averse to structure. And so I think in my adult life, even though I've not identified that I'm like actively avoiding it, I am. <laughs> it's like it's a weird realisation when you're like, because I, I think I, like I enjoy, you know, like spontaneity and impulsivity and I, I operate very well in that space. And I, I think I know how to respond to it. But that actually just does not work. <laughs> it doesn't work in adult life. You have to have structure. It's an interesting realisation when you realise that you're avoiding that, but almost like unconsciously or subconsciously. Tell me if I'm wrong. You've got a creative mind. Yeah. and the fact that you are putting structures in place of a creative mind seems to be a fear of limiting that creativity. But the realisation you came is, if I put more structures in place, I'm actually more productive, therefore more creative. Yeah, exactly. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about today? I think you've opened up a lot here. <laughs> I think that's all I can, all I can physically engage with. But this has been very eye-opening and very valuable. So thank you, genuinely. No problem. They always say coaching, the actual conversation is the easy part. The hardest part is when you go away and think about all the things we talked about and actually implementing. My final question is, when I'm not here, who's going to hold you accountable to these meetings to make sure you're doing it and the research? Me. (laughs) I also would say I have like, two or three friends who hold me very, I've got like, I've got, you know, loads of friends that I have fun with and they're great. But I also have about like two or three friends that I know will hold me accountable. It's like extremely so. So I think, you know, there's like one friend of mine, Anna, who I know I could be like, I need you to hold me accountable to this. And she genuinely will. And it won't be a thing of like, don't worry if I don't make the dates, it will be like a I'll be chastised. So like, it's probably a holding myself accountable and then, you know, relying on those friends who are almost like accountability partners. So yeah. When are you going to reach out to them to talk about our conversation and your goals? Do you know what? I'm probably going to reach out to Anna as soon as this podcast is over, because I actually was on the phone to her last night and I was like, I'm doing this podcast in the morning. She was like, oh my God, this sounds amazing. So I feel like she's already waiting for a response to like how it's gone. So yeah, literally literally in the next hour i will speak to her <laughs> excellent please keep me posted i'll I'll love to see your journey where this is all gonna go me too me too i'm excited so mire thank you ever so much for joining the plus future podcast thank you thanks for having me thank you to mire for another incredible episode of the plus future podcast It seemed that Mireille was a bit surprised at how easy the tweaks were that she needed to make to give more structure to her life. And the realization that a lot of my clients on the podcast seem to have is that the only person stopping them from achieving what they want to achieve is them. Leave any comments you have on my socials. I always reply to them. Until next time, 